everyone. This is Sarah McFarland from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today's episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Mary Lindsay from the University of Nebraska Medical Center, who recently joined us for the ninth webinar in the Science of Aging series, a joint webinar series brought to you by Inside Scientific and the American Physiological Society. Mary's presentation gave an overview of recent research that has expanded our understanding of left ventricular remodeling post-myocardial infarction. Let's dive in. Very first question here is, is infarct not confirmed at the time of ligation of the anterior descending coronary by visual inspection or ischemic blanching? That's a great question. Yes, we do confirm MI at the time of surgery. We also do EKG monitoring. So during the entire surgery, we're monitoring EKG and can confirm ST segment elevation at the time of MI. We do the echo at day one before we start the treatment, just as another confirmation in terms of the rigor and reproducibility of the study, just, you know, double downing that. We, We know we have infarct. We know they're similar between groups. We're not introducing any bias because of that. So to answer your question, yes, at the time of of, uh, surgery, we do confirm by EKG and by visual blanching. Great. Okay. Someone has also asked, have you noticed any difference in these results depending on the sex of the mice? Yeah, this is a great question. There's still lots to be done looking at potential differences in between sexes in terms of MI remodeling. I will say that Christine DeLeon Pinnell, when she was with our group, did a very nice study showing that the neutrophils that come into the heart after MI in the female, there are lower numbers of neutrophils than in the male mice. And at the same time, the tissue clearance rate is equal between them, which indicates that the neutrophils from the females are more efficient at clearing tissue than the male neutrophils. So that's just one example. There's a lot of similarities. There are differences. This is an area wide open for exploration. And this is just a a good point here to plug um, AJP Heart, which has a recent call for for articles that consider sex as a biological variable. And so we're highly interested in more folks in the community looking at both sex differences, but also sex similarities in MI remodeling. Awesome. A really cool factor to explore, I think. All right. The next question here is, does IL-4 alter checkpoint signaling? Because this seems to be important for macrophage activity under stress. Yeah, that's a great question. Now that you've you've asked that, Jeff, I'll have to go back and look at that data set. I do know that the PG, PDGF receptor alpha has a connection with cell transition and with checkpoint signaling. So the answer is likely yes, and we have that data, so we'll probably be able to know, you know, the specific the specific answer to that question. But we didn't we didn't look at that when we were writing up that study. The next question here is, does IL-4 treatment have an effect on the cardiomyocyte, for example, hypertrophy or atrophy pathways? Yeah, and, and you know, that's a, that's a good question. So in the IL-4 study, the only part of the myocyte component that we evaluated besides infarct size, which, you know, wasn't different because of the late treatment start time, the only thing of the myocyte that we looked at was the uptake 
of necrotic myocytes into the macrophage using phagocytosis. And in that case, there was no different between the groups, but that's more of a reflection of the macrophage physiology, I think, than the myocyte. We did not evaluate hypertrophy or atrophy, but I will say we didn't see any apparent differences that would suggest that those might be avenues that were you know, worth evaluating. Great. Okay. So the next question here, well, first it's a compliment. Great talk, Dr. Lindsay. Mm-hmm. The actual question part is, are the N2 neutrophils observed at day five to seven, a newly recruited population of neutrophils, since many of the first wave neutrophils undergo apoptosis? Right, right. This is a, a good question to ask. And so we we don't have direct evidence to say concretely that you know, where the source is, but I will tell you the indirect evidence that we have. You know, we think like you think that the neutrophils that come in in the first wave and then undergo apoptosis, we think that those are distinct cells from the cells that then infiltrate later and convert to the N2 phenotype. Based on the studies that we've done, it looks like the inflammatory cells, whenever they come into the environment, whatever environment they come into dictates what cell type they become. And if they polarize to the pro-inflammatory or the anti-inflammatory or somewhere along that spectrum, the environment at the time of entry seems to be the dictating consequence of, of what's going to happen. I'll also point out that Matthias Nahendorf and his group at Mass General have done a, num- a number of studies with the macrophage that indicate that for the macrophage, that that is true, that the cells that come in at day three Three are distinct from the cells that come in at day one. And at day three, they're, they're more proliferative, for example, and they're converting back to that resident macrophage phenotype. So there, there's definitely a lot of indirect evidence in the field to indicate that the day five to seven neutrophils are a newly recruited population. Fantastic. Great. Okay. And I just want to mention too that someone that you mentioned, Matthias, just presented in another webinar with us. So if you're interested in checking that out, definitely head to our website to find his presentation. So the next question here is, how does the MI environment change with aging? Okay. Yeah, this is a, this is a great question. And so um, it's from Dr. Lissandra DeCostro-Bross, who probably could answer this question better than I can. She's done a lot of studies looking at aging effects on LV remodeling. And so my answer to that is to point everyone to her literature. And so there are changes in the MI environment with aging. I will say that in the number of studies we've done in mice up through 18 months up until the time that they would be considered old, there is still a lot of similarities, particularly in the in the male sex. At that point, though, you can see distinct differences in between young and old females going back to the sex difference question that was asked earlier. I think that some of the sex differences come out more if you're looking at an aging cohort. And then after 23 months of age, when the mice are becoming senescent, then, you know, then, then you have, you know, baseline differences in the aging left ventricle that contribute to differences in how they respond to MI. Fantastic. Our next question here is, do you measure MMP enzyme activity? And if so, what is your preferred method? You know, and so this is, this is kind of a 
old school question because you know, back in the day in the, you know, 1990s, you know, when, when MMPs were first being measured in the heart, you know, gelatin zomography was like the go-to way. And, and when I was doing my dissertation defense, that was how I measured MMP9 for pro and active forms. You know, I think that currently there is not the need to measure, you know, to quote measure MMP activity as much as there there was in the past. Now, I, I would say the the more important index of MMP activity is the, the generation of substrate fragments. And so, especially in vivo, if you want to document that an MMP is elevated and that it has a, an activity, the best way to do that is to show that it has a consequence. And so, for example, when we directly simulated neutrophils with MMP-12, we didn't, you know, we used an active recombinant, but, you know, we didn't need to measure activity of the MMP-12. What we measured was the effect of the activity, and that was on um, stimulation of the caspase pathway to induce apoptosis. And so in, in terms of the MMP field, there's not the reliance on the activity assays of today that there were, you know, 20 years ago. Right now, most of this is based on substrate analysis. Okay, fantastic. Great answer. So the next question here is, uh, how are T-cells involved in this remodeling process? Is there a shift to TH2 or TH17? And so... For this question, I am 100% going to direct you to Dr. Christine DeLeon Pinnell at the Medical University of South Carolina and the research that she's been doing over the last three years to answer exactly this, what the, the T cells are doing after MI. There's definitely a shift in T cell repertoire during this time phase of MI. In addition to Christy um, DeLeon Pinnell, uh, Stefan Franz and the Warsberg group has also done some you know very nice studies looking at T cells in MI. It's definitely not something that our lab is um, investigating because there's so many, you know, good labs that are. T-cells are definitely lower, much lower in total number than, for example, the neutrophils or the macrophages. It doesn't mean they're not important. It just means that there's definitely some technical challenges to being able to look at um, T-cells, particularly at the individual cell level because of those volume issues. Okay, great. We've got lots of questions here. Just as a reminder, if you do have questions for Mary, please send them in through that Ask a Question panel. So I'm going to continue on here. So this next question is, is there any evidence of exercise protection prior to acute myocardial infarction? The answer is yes. That's not work that our lab does, but there's lots of people who exercise mice and rats and humans before and after MI, and there's definitely evidence that exercise is protective. Okay. Great. Next question here. This is a long one, so I'm going to read it. The inflammatory response in the heart appears to be similar to that in injured skeletal muscle. Skeletal muscle has resident stem cells, known as satellite cells, that enable myofibers to regenerate, which do not exist in the heart. Do you see a mechanism for incorporating stem cells in myocardial repair slash regeneration? Okay, Steve, I, I see you're asking this question. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna answer anything about repair and regeneration of, of cardiomyocytes in the heart. I think there's been enough literature put into the field that people can make conclusions about 
the promise of stem cells for MI. That's definitely not something we look at. Okay. The next question here is, do you think IL-13 will have similar effects mm. that like IL-4? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't, I don't, it's, it's definitely possible. I will tell you that IL-10, which is similar to, you know, it's another anti-inflammatory cytokine. IL-10 has definitely have a lot of positive effects on MI remodeling. Our group showed benefit of IL-10. And then uh, Raj Kishore at Temple has done a number of studies looking at IL-10. And so definitely there is some rationale for thinking about IL-13 as well. And by, by the way, that data set we have for the IL-4 macrophages, the RNA sequencing data set, if anyone wants that, that's part of the, the publication. It's a supplemental table. So you can feel free to, to see if, you know, if IL-13 is changing in that setting or if it gives you any, any help in rationalizing your, your experimental designs. Absolutely. A great resource for people. Thank you for that. We've got lots more questions here, so I'm going to keep going if you're okay with that. Did you expect any difference in the inflammatory reaction caused by a permanent LAD ligation MI model versus an ischemia reperfusion MI model? Well, you know, so AJP Hart has just published a, a couple of articles that are, are really good in providing insight into this question. And so one of them was an editorial on the difference between permanent occlusion MI, non-reperfused MI, and then reperfused MI. And so definitely those are distinct pathological responses, both of them involving inflammation. But for example, reperfusion brings in more inflammation sooner. And so, you know, Definitely, there would be the potential for, you know, some differences in response between those two models. I will say that we use the permanent occlusion, the non-reperfused MI model, because we're interested in heart failure and the progression from MI to heart failure. And that is the clinical scenario that is best mimicked with the um, permanent occlusion model. Okay. And the next question here is, any functional improvement with IL-4 treatment? Yeah, that's a good question because I did mention that we did ECHO. And so we evaluated these mice at day three, which is somewhat early time point in terms of, of looking at the full dilation response to MI. And so to, you know, in summary of the results, ECHO was not, none of the ECHO variables that we measured were different between saline and IL-4 treated mice. We don't necessarily think that is a bad thing because since the treatment was started at day one and then we sacrificed at day three, this was a short window of therapy. And the fact that macrophages and neutrophils are changing, but but the cardiac physiology didn't change indicates that those changes in the cell types are occurring before physiology. And so this is indicating that, you know, molecular changes can drive cell changes and the cell changes can drive LV changes. Others have reported that IL-4 treatment given for longer periods, I think it was 14 days, did show a difference in cardiac physiology. And so um, our time point of day three was too early to see a difference. That makes sense. Great. All right. So the next question here, she's asked, I was wondering how would this macrophage realm change in the setting of MI in the presence of metabolic syndrome where one might have pre-existing systemic inflammation already? 
Right, right. That's a great question. And so I'll point you to Dr. Ganesh Halade in his work. He's at University of South Florida in Tampa. He's done a number of studies showing the effect of aging plus high fat diet plus, you know, DHA as a modifier and then giving MI. And so definitely changing either aging or nutritional status or underlying inflammation, any of those components can trigger shifts in how the MI remodels. All right. This next question here is, how does changes in cardiac inflammation post-MI contribute to changes in cardiac metabolism and vice versa? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So there's a definite tie-in with metabolism. And, the, the, you know, the whole concept of metabol- metabolism is something that is just starting to get thought of in the cardiac community. And so again, Matthias Nahendorf, you know, another plug for his talk, done a lot of looking at metabolic shifts in the macrophage over time with MI. And so, you know, it all, it all interrelates. If, if there's changes in metabolism of whatever cell type or, or the whole organ, then it's going to feed into changes in the inflammatory status. Great. Yep. And as Mary mentioned, uh, he does have a talk on this in our uh, immunology series with the APS as well. So definitely head to our website to check that out. Can reperfusion after ischemia alter the time course changes in the inflammatory slash reparative process? I that the answer is definitely definitely yes. In Nick Frangiogiannis and Mark Entman and a number of folks who have studied reperfusion over the years, you know, can tell you there's definitely changes in the kinetics of of cell infiltration. There's differences in the numbers of cells that come in. There's differences in the transition from pro to anti to reparative phenotypes. So all of that can be modified when you add reperfusion into the equation. Great. Where do you see this field heading in the next 10 years? Yeah, you know, this is a super exciting time to be in the MI remodeling field because, you know, 25 years ago, we had a lot of questions that we didn't have the tools to answer. And right now, you know, with RNA sequencing, with single cell sequencing, I'll also make a huge plug for proteomic. With proteomic technologies, what they are right now, you know, we are just poised to answer so many of these questions that have been on the back burner for for so long. And so I think over the next 10 years, we're just going to see an expansion of the information that we are provided to help us understand better the whole MI remodeling process. And, you know, in our lab in particular, the, the focus where we're headed is, is trying to modify this system in a way that does benefit. And so we know if we have a you know global change in inflammation, that that ends up being a negative contribution to MI remodeling, that if you have too much or too little inflammation, that that's not good. And so you want right at that happy medium where wound repair can occur and scar formation can occur, but you don't get too little or too much because then you have detriments on both sides of that equation. So getting that U-shaped curve to be optimized by tweaking the system is something that is really the, the next generation of, of thinking is how do we, we tweak it rather than how do we totally inhibit or how do we totally promote? Because I think that so much of this isn't a linear process, it's a, a U-shaped process.
hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune in to future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work, offer tips, tricks, and best practices, but most of all, share science. Don't forget to subscribe.